0: you're listening to the john DePietro show folks it's weekdays we start right here at 11 we go until 2 it's a.m 1380 99.9 fm you can always listen online at the website depietro.com. the storm is gone thank goodness And i think i mean that should be the final one of the season but we never know um i i know some people are saying it turned out to be a bust and that's not a bad thing i'll take that windy now but then sunshine and then i'd like to look ahead monday is thank goodness folks we've made it again the first day of spring and as we look at the forecast um we'll take this type of weather i mean all right warmer days are coming right so temperatures in the high 40s that's that's not a bad thing i want to touch on um just to start off you know there's a lot of talk about mental health these days and i i just want to remind people and i'm going to just talk in hypothetical i'm not going to talk about an exact situation but i want people to remember and maybe it should be pointed out that ultimately um there's a difference between mental health and decisions people make that put them in a certain frame of mind and if if someone I know with some people they think, "Gee, why does that?" But why does it have to be explained? It, if if someone drinks too much and then they commit a crime, it's still a crime. They they decided to they would decided to drink, right? It wasn't God's will? Some people, Jesus take the wheel. It's it's not no, no. They decided to drink, and then in that drunken state, they decided to do. You know, whatever. I knew someone years ago that used to drink himself into such a. He he stole a taxi one time. Um, he went and got proper help for it, but but he decided to drink, and then he stole a taxi and going through one of the tunnels, and certainly got himself into trouble. But if someone takes drugs, and then they're in a drug induced state and then they commit a crime that's not a mental health problem that's a drug problem that's a result of who you have to come back to who decided to do the drug every day there are, there are some people now I, I understand like with alcoholism but there are people that drive by a liquor store then there are some people that go into the liquor store most people drive by the liquor store there are some people that purchase illicit drugs there's many most people decide not to but if someone purchases dangerous drugs whatever term people want to use narcotics what have you and then they commit some kind of heinous crime that's not a mental health problem now they've created they have a mental health problem because then i'm sure they can't believe that they've committed this crime but that that's not there's a recent example where people are trying to say that an individual they didn't know what they were doing when they committed a heinous act and they're actually trying to blame the hospital for well the hospital shouldn't have released that's their fault they released him Well, time out a minute did did the hospital know what type of drugs this person had taken who took the drugs they did he did he took the drugs that put him in such a hallucinating, drug-induced state. He then went on and committed a, a heinous crime. But you're blaming the hospital? Did, did people tell the hospital what this person was under? And then if the person took any more of the drugs, you're blaming the hospital for what that person did? no no i don't that's not god's will okay you can try to blame people all you want but hospitals are overrun hospitals are trying to take care of people who are sick hospitals have to then take care of do you, i i don't think people have any idea how much right now our first responders as someone that i deal with public safety individuals and first responders of different kinds and the toll it is taking the amount of overdoses that they have to respond to the amount of self-harm calls that they have to respond to now many people say we have a mental health crisis in this country however many of the times that they're responding to these calls right let's talk about the drug overdoses I don't know what the solution is with this. I think, you know, they're so readily available. They're in all different forms. Obviously, they're coming over the border, but they're coming different ways. I don't... I know Governor McKee is saying we need a center where people can test their drugs and do them safely. I don't think that's the proper answer, because I think that that's just prolonging and putting off eventually they're going to do either a, a bad batch or they're going to do a fatal batch or they're, whatever's involved with that. It's not going to be a good outcome. So I think Governor McKee and the state needs to stop this narrative of people can safely do very dangerous drugs. I think that sets up a false narrative and then it's just a matter of time before something uh, obviously very dramatic happens. But, but on, on top of that, many of the people... These calls they're responding to of self-harm calls, people threatening to do things to themselves, to others. There's also alcohol involved, and many times there's drugs involved. If someone takes a very, very dangerous drug and then ends up, you know, obviously then they're, they're harm, threatening people around them. They're threatening to harm themselves. They're the ones that took it. You can't then start blaming well, you know, the country and the state—we have a mental health credit. No, well, yeah, but that's what's contributing to it. I mean, it, it is true that there there are certain people, and there are some there are some mental health issues, but they seem to be all kind of mashing together. If someone drinks all day, and then they take some form of drug, and as a result of that, they start thinking thoughts of self harm i wouldn't consider that you know that's a mental health crisis it's a substance abuse problem no question it certainly isn't helping the situation so i think more efforts need to go into that and as i've said our public safety system is is so outdated the way they approach it right someone is is thinking of self-harm so we send a fire truck that that's a complete waste They need different vehicles. There should be a fire truck when there's a fire and only a fire. Other than that, I'm just get them some Jeeps, get them some SUVs. I understand paramedics and and others have to arrive quickly into the situation, but it, it, it makes no sense. And folks, this is going on every day and every night. And like I've said, how many times I'm not, I'm just saying someone needs to step up and say, hey, wait a minute. Like, let's, let's rethink how we do this instead of having what 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 is the purpose someone falls in a grocery store and they send a fire truck and they send the big you know you see those things coming they take up a lot of space i can only imagine how much it costs to operate one and then they get out and they help carry the the guy to the to the ambulance to the rescue I, i i don't talk about like a waste of resources it doesn't make any sense in any way and no one's addressing it by the way so I'm not saying that you don't you need that, but let's send it when that's what the call is for, because it's being sent out a lot. We certainly need to balance off the the. I think a big problem was there was such a focus on the police, because police get called to these calls as well. But I I I I think they were focusing on the wrong agency. I think the, it's the fire department that could use some of these social workers counselors you know BLM the progressives they love the expression counselors not cops but and I I understand sometimes the police get called out and the person's having some kind of an episode and then they're threatening to harm themselves and or people around them and then it turns into some kind of a confrontation with with police so I'm not saying that those people don't need some kind of help maybe it should be like a new division uh between police and fire and I, I don't know what that is and i'm not saying you know you need all new budgets and personnel i'm saying i think they need to redefine the roles a little bit more something that might be a little more quick action because uh by and large you know today tomorrow whenever over the next few days when you see a fire truck going out m- most of the time it's not for it's not being used because there is something that that is on fire they're being called out for for different reasons so all right we're going to update you on everything we're going to talk to dame mcgowan of the boston globe folks it's all i had right here on the john DePietro show next time you have an emergency think at med urgent care two locations 1524 atwood avenue johnston that's right in the atwood medical center and also 5750 post road east greenwich right across from felicia's at Med urgent care when you have an emergency they specialize in ambulatory medicine they provide immunization school and sports physicals at at urgent care they provide Medical Center and also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, online at admedurgentcare.net. If you're listening to the John DePetro Show weekdays, we start at 11, we go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, Petro.com. Joining us right now, he's a columnist with the Boston Globe. It is Dan McGowan and uh, Dan McGowan and Roadmap starting off. Boy, those are some frightening numbers of uh, the inability, the retention rates for Providence. Teachers are just in free fall right now.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty unbelievable. You've seen um, more than 500 teachers in the last, just in the last two school years alone, um, leave the job in some way or another. So it's not, you know, other roles in the district, maybe they became principals or assistant principals uh, plenty retired. Uh, a lot move on to other districts in Rhode Island. And there's a the, the reason I wrote about it in Rhode roundup is there's a new study from Brown that kind of looked at, very closely looked at, you know, basically looked at the the the, uh, the retention rates in Providence. Like Providence significantly lower than the rest of the state, even in sort of the urban school district. So if you compare it to Central Falls or Woonsocket or, uh, or Pawtucket, and so they've got some challenges. You know, the thing that the, the report doesn't quite do that's a little bit, uh, you know, frustrating I, from like my perspective is we don't quite know, we don't get the, you know, the reasons for it. So, you know, the district is of course always going to say, well, the pandemic has been tough on everybody. The teachers, are, of course, always going to say, "Well, it's this takeover, this terrible takeover." And the truth is, it's probably somewhere in the middle. There's no question that you know morale is much lower right now because of the takeover. But at the same time, you know, the district shouldn't get entirely blamed for that. When yes, there's been a lot of stress on you know uh, from the pandemic
0: level too. The team Where where does this go? And I'm just wondering. We've heard reports there were less there are less students. So if there's less students, is it possible that maybe they don't, I mean, the teachers, you never want to go below the level that they're at right now. But is it possible that they don't need as many teachers as they have?
1: The answer to that is absolutely yes. And one of the reasons why you're not hearing um, a lot of, I think, a lot of the argument from the from the teachers right now that you're kind of, what they're not saying is, you know, the with all these on jobs, this just means that you're, you know, it's because you're closing the schools because they don't actually want to acknowledge that there's a scenario where actually, you know, the the number of students has declined and it's, you know, it's falling below 20,000 for the first time in a really long time. It is likely to fall much further than that in the next couple of years. I wouldn't be surprised. I think I've said this to you before. I think you could get in a situation in the district where you're, you see somewhere around 15,000 students in the, in the coming years. And that by comparison, John, when I first became a reporter here about a decade and a half or 12 years ago, we were at 27, 28,000 students wow. um, in the district. So you have seen a significant number, but you don't hear that talk about deep. What the teachers are saying is, no, 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 you, you, know, you just can't find the, t- the teachers because nobody wants to work here. I do think the district looks at this and says, you know, the, the, the this has been painful in some ways, and yes, we get a lot of criticism. But I do think there is, a, you know, there is some truth to of oh, we're weeding some of the teachers who don't want to be here out, combined with the retirement, and you, know, you look at the the number of,
0: of teachers. I think 25% of all teachers in Providence are going to be retirement eligible within the
1: next five years. Some are already. Um, I do think the district probably says, you know what, this, this is actually a, a chance where, you know, potentially we won't actually have to hire back a lot of people, but it's that unspoken thing. Cause you don't want to have a fight with the union about, you know, about jobs going unfilled or jobs never coming back. And so nobody really wants to say it, but you're exactly right. That, that is, uh, I think that is a factor here.
0: And Tim McConnell, what about finally, just on this, um, the, the average age, because what, what people also, I mean, you and I have talked about this. It's pretty well known. A, a part of it is, is just the way the system works. If you're a young, ambitious teacher, it is, is the ultimate. You have to wait your turn. Everything's promoted yep. by seniority. It's a, it's actually a, a terrible, there's, there's no system that effectively works like that anymore. And so as a result of that, it, it sounds like you don't have those young, uh, energetic, ambitious young teachers you're you're stuck with teachers that have not only been in the system a long time but you can't get rid of them
1: yeah this is that this is a challenge that the teaching profession in particular and not at all just related to providence or to rhode island um really faces look it is it's, it's clear i mean anyone out there that has you know uh like children of you know of the like just graduated from college kind of age range People are not looking at their careers like they're gonna have a 40 or 50 year you know, career in the same uh, field and things like that. And I do think teachers are, you know, to some degree, young teachers are put off by, you're not able to move fast enough up the steps ladder that is usually in your union contract to make enough money, right? You've got all these people that are, you know, if, you're, if you're, especially if you're going to a private college and you've got student loans, Well, if, you know, if you've got 50 or 60 or $70,000 in student loan debt, making 40 or $50,000 as a new teacher, um, you know, in many ways doesn't cut it. You know, the the flip side to that, the counter argument is that a lot of new teachers do come into the the business and, and think they want to change the world. And I want to teach third grade for the rest of my life. And then you actually get in front of the classroom and you say, I hate this, right? It's, the, yeah. it, it's like the, you know, so many, uh, how many nursing school students or you know, yep. want to be doctors, they see blood for the first time and they quit. Um, I, I think that really happens a lot too in this profession. And so, you know, there is something to be said about uh, having more experienced teachers, all of that, but you, you can't ignore the fact that the, what, what does tend to happen is the teachers who have stayed in this profession for a really long time they tend to have done it because of the benefits that come with seniority with come with your pension and the things like that and, and and that's just not something that I think a lot of young people are thinking about I think a lot of people are convinced that it might not be there uh by the time they're ready to to, to actually retire and so it's easier to go into a field that might be a little more lucrative or a, l- a little more flexible
0: folks quick break much more ahead Dan McGowan Boston Globe right here on the John DiPietro show it's propaneplus.com. Propane Plus. Call them, 401-885-4209. Falcon Pest Services, 12 months of the year, you could have a pest problem. Serving Rhode Island and Massachusetts, called Falcon Pest Services today, 401-739-1322. Free consultation, 401 739 1322 locally owned and operated serving rhode island and southeastern mass they offer services for termites bed bugs ants roaches mice rats in the summertime spring fall mosquitoes and many other pests call today for a free consultation whether it's for your home or a restaurant maybe it's once a year maybe it's once a month call falcon pest services today free consultation 401- 739-1322 739-1322 residential and commercial whether it's an office building a school a hotel a restaurant or your home call falcon pest services today free consultation 401-739-1322 we're speaking with dan mcgowan comments of the boston globe and dan i really liked your piece folks it's in the boston globe the failure of providence's fane tower lesson in politics and reality and, uh, and David Salvatore, to me, that was the perfect person for you to kind of shape the column around.
2: Yeah,
1: you know, it's funny. David Salvatore was in a really interesting position a bunch of years ago uh, because he was the city council president um, when the Fane Tower was kind of getting <clears throat> approved by the, the, the city council. And he was actually against it. He was he had real concerns. I will say, having covered him in the role of, you know, just a straight reporter at the time. Even then, I, I I I kind of I heard the arguments that look, you know, the finances don't actually make sense here. This is not going to work. And I, I even even like I said, as kind of a straight news reporter, I tend to view the world, or at least I then and now as an opinion writer, very much do that. I think development should happen, right? I I yep. can't stand the arguments of you know it's ugly or it's too tall, and. I, I think as a reporter, then I sort of wrote off uh, kind of realistic criticism, which came from people like Salvatore who said, you know, we're sitting down with these guys and we're asking them how much are these things going to, you know, these units going to cost and how much, h- how are you going to make this work and can't get any answers. And I think I, th- I you know, at the time I probably thought, ah, oh, you're being a little political here. You, you know, you're just being an obstructionist in hindsight. The, the question that was never answered, it was never answered to the 195 commission, it was never answered to the city, was, can you make this work financially? Right. Now, unfortunately for Jason Fain, the New York developer, you know, he ran into things that you would never, you know, you couldn't have foreseen, right? The Obviously, the pandemic, interest rates rising costs of you know, labor and the cost of construction going way, way up. All those things, I think, are major factors. There's no way to, set, to say for sure if this project would have happened or if it wouldn't have happened you know, five, six years ago. But to his credit, Council President Salvatore you know, took an unpopular opinion on that council. The council overwhelmingly supported uh, the, the FANE project, and, uh, you know, and he, I think he risked some political capital. In, in, in hindsight, the truth is, he was right.
0: Yeah. Uh, t- t- if you don't mind just touching on Dan McGowan, Joe Palino had a great line, and I'm so glad yeah. you talked with him in this, but time kills development. I was trying to use in the same argument with people. It's irrelevant what people thought of the of the design, because that's seemingly could be flexible. The, the problem was, firstly, firstly, Fane kind of with the, hey, trust me, I know what I'm doing, but wouldn't disclose that. But also, Let's face it, they, they put this guy through the ringer and all the yes. opposition. And then and on and television news, I think at Channel 10, they have these women or some some people that are in some community groups that are celebrating. This is a good thing. And listen, when you have someone that comes up and is kicking the tires and has that kind of money, I, I don't I never see a good scenario. Even Senate President Ruggiero did not think it sends a good sign. That someone like this says, you know what, forget it. This, these people are impossible to do business with. It, it's
1: one of the reasons I chose to talk to David Salazar, who yeah. I think is a reasonable human being, as opposed to somebody who's going to, you know, try to pop balloons over this kind of thing. Because yeah. I think you're exactly right. I mean, you know, interestingly, John, you and I have talked for years about the, the challenges that come with being a, a state that's heavily unionized. And in this oh. case, and that's a, it's real. There's no question. Costs go up, things like that. In, in this case, though, labor was pretty strongly on board with this project from the get-go. Jason Fain, who's a guy who comes from New York, not exactly the easiest state to do business, uh, right. you know, he was willing to work with the union. So this was not held up by anybody but, quite frankly, obstructionists who didn't like parts of this project. Now, the, the, the only thing I would say to that is just jason Fain was allowed to go through the governance process of you know you get a bunch of zoning changes through the city council you know things like that it is true that you know the legal battle that everyone is entitled to um you know to to go through that process too so you know you you can't benefit from it one time and then on the other side kind of complain about how long it takes but the overall point that Joe Palino raises, and even even David Salvatore, who, who again, like I said, I think was right in this idea, they all acknowledge, yes, the, 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 the time of all of this really probably did hurt the project, probably killed the project, uh, and you're not going to say, I mean, you, I was poking around a little bit about, hey, what kind of other you know irons are in the fire, so to speak, and it was made very clear to me that well, they're pretty, The 195 commission. I think state leaders are pretty confident they'll get something on that land. And remember, land is that right off of Dyer Street. It's actually right across from the building that I work in, uh, the, the Cambridge Innovation Center. So right downtown, next to the pedestrian bridge. But we're talking going from this guy wanted to build 47 stories, wanted to spend hundreds of millions of dollars, and I was told, yeah, you know, you'll probably see. 10 15 story building you'll see some apartments hopefully you get a commercial tenant but i mean think about the scope that changes from potentially having the tallest building in Rhode island significantly taller by the way than the superman building to now you know having kind of a standard size building and that's a lot of units that won't uh that won't come online for housing we've got a big housing problem a lot of jobs that you know could potentially be lost things like that so uh, I think it's a major blow. And if you're, for the folks out there who, you know, are cheerleading the idea that this guy had, you know, finally folded up, let's be clear. In addition to the legal fees, you know, he was spending tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars with, you know, permitting fees and all those other kind of things that that the city and the state kind of hit you up for. I mean, if he wasn't serious, he burned through Probably millions of dollars at this point, um, all to get this done. I mean, clearly the folks who, who kind of stood in the way, you know, were a major factor here.
0: Uh, folks, again, we're speaking with Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe. Dan, what are, what is your uh, what is your thought take? I should say, what do you make of what what are we to make of that Lieutenant Governor Matos has now decided to jump into the race for CD two, CD one.
1: Well, I think it was smart for her to be the first so called big name to get in because I yep. think it draws, you know, it draws that line. Look, I'm here. I'm, I'm in no matter what. Everybody else, you know, a week, every week goes by. You and I talk in another week where we're waiting on Joe Shikarchi. We're waiting on Helena Folks. You know, there's this scenario where let's pretend they both decide not to do it. Suddenly, right. Sabina, Suddenly, Sabina Matos is becomes a a, a sort of a heavy favorite not because she's a great politician or because of any she got in the race she organized she's got people you know she's talking to you know uh kind of national members of congress and national groups about endorsements she could have realistically you know a two-week three-week month head start on the rest of the field and while that wouldn't matter I don't think with a Shikachi or with a helena folks because they have so much money that's a huge advantage if you're going to run against you know the um, oh, who works for the biden administration or uh you know a councilman in providence things like that i mean you have such a huge advantage if you're getting in so i think it was smart by her it's also not going to scare a bunch of people out right i think you know, we're keep hearing more and more. Don Grabby and the mayor of Pawtucket seems to be serious about doing this. I think he becomes a real factor, particularly if you know if it's the kind of the guy from the Blackstone Valley versus the Latino candidate. He could play a little bit more of a moderate card. It's not not the easiest uh, path to a victory in the first district, but he'll have plenty of support in this race if he
2: runs.
0: Folks, also in the Boston Globe, uh, boy, Dan Dan McGowan, Sarah Jane Kavanaugh, boy, she got lumped by Judge McConnell, Rhode Island fraudster, fakes Marine Service cancer. Some of it, 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 the details that came out, it is worth the read, your uh, colleague Brian Emerald, what, what she went to, which was, you know, in the getting the medals and then getting, meeting with people who did have stage four cancer, then taking their records and then taking money from them, I just don't remember the last time we have ever we've had uh, someone, let alone a woman, get this type of punishment in the federal system.
1: Well, not to mention, John, uh, you know, Judge McConnell's reputation is as a liberal judge, right? Yes. Normally he's not somebody to throw the book at you in a lot of ways. But yeah, this was a, a pretty stiff sentence. I think it clearly it shows you it's you know designed to send a statement about, you know, kind of stolen valor and that sort of thing. Um But yeah, my colleague Brian Amaral was, you know, was at the uh, was there for sentencing yesterday and was, you know, has been covering this for a while. But yeah, this is as stiff a sentence, uh, and particularly for a woman, quite honestly, that that you that you will see in Rhode Island,
0: folks. There's also a uh, unbut fantastic story in the globe I Am Who I Am, the sordid history of the man charged the Tyler Lawrence killing that has just shook the city of Boston uh several months ago and what a remarkable piece by your boston colleagues Laura Cromaldi and also Dugan Arnett wow if that doesn't open your eyes reading that
1: yeah it's it, it's both eye opening and it's you know it's it does be you know so for most people out there if you, every week why John DiPietro talk to you know the Boston Globe every week well guess what we cover Rhode Island but we have also the the, the deepest bench in the region, right And you you can you get deeply reported stories like that one and so many other sports obviously and all that. So uh, it, the subscription is actually worth it beyond just Rhode Island.
0: <laughs> now speaking of uh, subscri- sports, Dan McGowan, here it is March Madness and folks, I want you to listen because in roadmap not only could you start to receive it tomorrow for free in your inbox, gives you links. Gives you the latest scoop that Dan McGowan knows of or has been working on, but it is also time to fill out the brackets.
1: Absolutely, folks! If you're out there and you haven't yet, you know, subscribed to Roadmap or whatever. Shoot me an email today. We'll talk about it at the end of this uh, set and get in our bracket contest completely free. Uh, you know, we're doing it through ESPN. Uh, hundreds of people have already signed up for it so it's pretty cool you'll have lots of uh you, well prizes at the end that sort of thing it's your very standard bracket uh yeah i mean i think we were all john on the edge of our seats on sunday night uh waiting for pc's name to be called because it, it wasn't looking good until the final no. segment uh i think a lot of us thought maybe they they had been bounced out uh It's going to be tough. Going to be tough to beat Kentucky, and then you have on added to that, John, is of course the speculation of you know is Coach Cooley going to be sticking around for much longer, which is fascinating as well.
0: What does Dan McGowan hear about that?
1: You know, I'm not going to pretend to be deeply sourced on it, other than to say um, I do think that I think it's a I think it's going to be a very real off. I think that. Coach Cooley is a person who, you know, he gave some advice. Uh, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here, but when when the Providence yep. police chief was was deciding to do this job, one of the things Chief Clements, one of the people Chief Clements talked to, was his friend. They both live in East Greenwich together. Coach yep. Cooley, and Coach Cooley's advice to him was, "Hey, you don't owe the city anything anymore. You've given your life to this city. Thirty years on the job." You know it's not that's not a negative thing when when he says you don't owe the city anything it's you have done everything you could ever have wished for the city of Providence I I do that sticks in my head he could have that thought in his head here he's he's transformed that program he has delivered for his home city and maybe it is time you know that job particularly for I think for black coaches because of John Thompson. Uh, you know, is a job that is it, it, it's special beyond just the money or the prestige. It's, it means more than even that. Uh, and so I think he's going to take a close look at it. But, you know, PC would be crazy to uh, to let him go for any comparable money. I mean, it, you know, if, you, if it's getting you from $4 million to $5.5 million, I think Providence can probably break the bank and do it.
0: I think he takes it, Dan McGowan, just because, and I know people – listening may not get it but it's exactly as you just laid it out the the being the coach of georgetown let alone someone of color it's it's a it's a very unique it's one of a kind actually type of job in the profession and and when you get the program rolling which i have full competency would uh that that could mean dinner at the white house it's just it's a whole another level and, and new people and plus you know, his friend uh, Chief Clements is down there and there's uh, a whole host of reasons.
1: And do you know the other thing, John, that that I I think a lot of people may not uh, quite see, but, you know, you and your career have seen this, uh, you know, at times, which is, there is something, you know, you have all your friends here. Yes, you grew up here, but being a big fish in the smallest of ponds, it it can be suffocating, you know? Yes. I, I live, I live, three blocks from PC and I'll, I drive down uh, Admiral all the time or, or Douglas Avenue and you'll see coach Cooley out there. It goes on, you know, his walks every day. The guy can't go on a walk without having people beeping at him, including me, by the way, you right. know, uh, waving at him. Now that celebrity status is awesome. I am sure he wouldn't trade it in for the world, but it it does become a bit suffocating when you have a chance to do it at georgetown in dc uh you know you the, the the talk of you know you kind of become the the, the duke university of the east coast when it comes to yeah. basketball and that was what john thompson kind of built uh, really really attractive for him so it's going to be fascinating and you wonder you know how much is it going to be distracting going into friday night and you know coach calipari who's also been rumored to be kind of on the hot seat a little bit there at kentucky but that's because their fans you know their own they only uh become satisfied when you win national titles
0: that's right but i i think it is an interesting dynamic i wouldn't at all fault him for taking it and 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 listen dc and also for a person of color it's it's completely different anyone that has gone out there um you know it, it's it's far more common to be in an upscale restaurant and it's the makeup can be 50 50 where let's face it that's right it's it's not like that if he's you know he's he's the only person of color many times who's dining at Capitol Grill Capriccio, what have you folks you hear me mention roadmap um, and Dan McGowan right now if you'd be so kind to extend the offer to anyone who's listening
1: yeah and as we were talking about before you could sign up for our bracket challenge as well uh, all you have to do is send a very uh, simple email blank just send it to rinews@globe.com. at globe.com RI news I will sign you up, and uh, you'll start getting it first thing tomorrow morning.
0: Folks, he's Dan McGowan. Dan, great job as always. March Madness is upon us, and we'll see what happens Friday night, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Go Friars. See you soon.
0: Get the most of your outdoor space with Limitless Outdoors. Call today for a free quote, 401 580 1852. Limitless Outdoors. They specialize in patios, walkways, steps. They did a fantastic job on my outside steps. Outdoor kitchens, landscape lighting, retaining walls, lawn installations, excavation. Call Limitless Outdoors today. Let's dream, build, and enjoy. 401 580 1852 based in Smithfield limitless outdoors they also do indoor fireplaces or outdoor fireplaces limitless outdoors call them today free quote get the most of your outside you're gonna love what they can do for you 401-580-1852 401-580-1852 limitless outdoors dream build enjoy You're listening to the John DePetro show, folks. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, DePetro Well, things are heating up as far as did you hear about this? There was a close call between Russian fighter of uh, Russian fighter jet collided with a US drone over the Black Sea. An incident could lead to unintended escalation. I want to hear. Martha Raddatz, I think, is very plugged into this, and I want, want, to, uh, want you to hear this.
3: Escalating tensions between the U.S. and Russia after a Russian warplane forced down an American drone over the Black Sea. Chief Global Affairs anchor Martha Raddatz has the story. Good morning, Martha. Good morning, George. This morning, the U.S. searching for that down multi-million dollar drone after a Russian pilot essentially hot-dogging an international airspace collided with the drone. It has never happened before. A collision between a U.S. drone and a Russian warplane. While reckless interceptions are common, like this one in 2020, this time was far different. Two Russian fighter jets making 19 passes at high speed by the U.S. drone over a 30-minute period, spraying the drone with fuel multiple times. On the last pass, one of the fighter jets flying vertically towards the drone colliding with the drone's rear propeller and bringing it down.
1: They collided with the aircraft, damaging the propeller, uh, and essentially uh, putting in a situation where it was unflyable and uncontrollable, so we brought it down.
3: The drone's propeller was bent, but the U.S. was able to guide the drone away from where it collided and into the Black Sea. A big question at the Pentagon, was this simply a reckless interception that got out of control, or was the collision done on purpose? Just
1: demonstrative of... uh very unprofessional, unsafe airmanship on the part of these
3: pilots. The Russians are claiming the drone was flying southwest of the Crimean Peninsula toward Russia's border and crashed because of sharp maneuvering, and that the Russian jets never came into physical contact with the drone. Late yesterday, the U.S. summoning Russia's ambassador to the State Department.
0: We don't want any confrontation between the United States and the Russian Federation. We are in favor of pragmatic relations.
3: And it's no wonder U.S. Air Force official tells us they do not believe the Russian pilot did this on purpose, instead saying the Russian pilot
0: was simply incompetent and flat-out dumb, George. And that I believe, as they are absolutely drunks and incompetent. Now, how about Sarah Kavanaugh? What a despicable individual this is. This is the woman convicted, stolen valor, 70 months in prison. And she's even more appalling than we thought. Now, she's from North Kingstown, defrauding veterans, charities, friends, claiming to be a wounded Marine, nearly six years behind bars. What an absolute disgrace she is. You know, I met her at some event years ago, some type of event someone was having, and then I went and. Um, but I want you to listen to this piece uh, Channel 12 put together.
2: ...and veterans' benefits is going to prison. A federal judge sentenced Sarah Kavanaugh a short time ago. Before learning her punishment, she told the court she was ashamed of what she did. 12 News reporter Alexandra Leslie was in court for the sentencing hearing and joins us live with what happened. Alex? Well, before a judge handed down the maximum sentence that federal prosecutors requested just under six years, we also heard from victims of Sarah Kavanaugh's in court talking about how how she not only stole their money, but also their confidence, trust, and respect. And we also heard from Kavanaugh herself. Prosecutors argued that while Sarah Kavanaugh tried to gain acceptance and respect, she could have done so without stealing from others.
3: The bottom line is it's simply
2: appalling. The 32-year-old was sentenced to 70 months in prison and to pay just under $300,000 in restitution to more than a dozen victims. Three spoke inside federal court where cameras are not allowed, including a cancer patient that Kavanaugh stole medical records and accepted donations from to pay for fictitious treatments of her own. U.S. Attorney Zachary Cunha calls Kavanaugh's actions morally repugnant. This is a
3: defendant who convinced friends at the gym to bend down and tie her shoelaces because she claimed she couldn't do that. This is a defendant who got herself a service puppy to deal with supposed battlefield trauma that of course she never experienced because she's never served in the military, let alone on a battlefield, and then convinced her friends to bend down and pick up the dog's waist for her because she claimed she couldn't do that.
2: The commander of North Kingstown VFW 152 spoke in court about how her actions have resulted in a loss of trust and support to local VFWs. One VFW member told us more about that outside of court. The credibility factor was damaged. It damaged us. And we have seen it as the post commander
3: Dave Ainsley has said. It's like, you know, there's things we're trying to get out there and support. um, And we don't have as much resources. We don't have as much money. We don't have the
2: volunteers that are part of the post. So, I mean, you know, you can't put a dollar figure on that. Cavanaugh's attorney had requested a much lighter sentence of 24 months and a day, saying she has already paid a significant price by losing her job and reputation. The 32-year-old also spoke in court, saying she was sorry, but that she wanted a chance to rebuild her life.
0: She should have been given more. She should have been given uh, a lot more. The judge, I think, probably because she was she's a female, um, her her actions go so beyond the pale and more details come out now one of the things that uh comes out about this is and i can't stand it and it, it has no makes no sense federal court still does not allow still does not let uh cameras in which to me just makes no sense at all no recording inside because it's it's federal court but she i'll tell you she was working at the va so she would order medals she ordered medals, which she had access to do from the VA, and then had her name put on it. She didn't even serve in the military. When I, I, I don't know, there was just something when I, someone said she had been a Marine, she had been injured in the battlefield and so forth, just her actions were, were odd. I can't even explain it. It was at some event several years ago, I, and I didn't, I didn't have like a formal part. I wasn't even filming it it was i don't remember exactly i think it was around veterans day and i there it, it was just something like i it just didn't fit i don't know what the drill was but anyhow um she in fact was dealing with there was one individual and he was he he has stage four lung cancer and he told her that so She falsely told him, "Yeah, I also have lung cancer." So, she accessed his medical records at the VA, altered them, and then used them as part of her scheme. Then she turns around, and she told him that she needed help paying her medical bills. So, an actual veteran and an actual cancer patient at stage four, he gave her five thousand, five thousand dollars to pay for false cancer treatments that's like what you like this is like another level i don't think it's enough what'd she do with the money trips expensive clothing gifts for her girlfriend people tying her shoe at the gym couldn't do so uh in-home care attendant funded by the wounded warrior project had to pick up the dog poop but then she sought funding from the hunter seven foundation and they started looking into actually whether she actually served in the marines couldn't find any anything to substantiate her claim and that's what started going but there were GoFundMe pages um there were there were people who donated their paid time off sport a woman they thought had cancer what a compl- I don't i don't think she got enough time i think she should have even gotten more than 70 months this started to there's like a sick element to it this wasn't took some money that was not you know she wasn't entitled to she she went to much higher levels of this the events leading up she started working at the va in 2015 she said she was a marine corps veteran with a purple heart bronze star with it's called a v device distinguishes heroism suffered from post traumatic stress disorder traumatic brain injury because of an explosive device attack notice all none of this was true and she also had cancer because of burn pits in iraq and afghanistan none of that true so she then became the position commander veterans of foreign war post north kingstown october 2020 Many accepted her story at face value, duped by the phony medals and altered records. She used her VMA, VA email to request a shipment of Purple Art Bronze Star online from a company in San Diego. To get the DD 214, she accessed an actual VA patient's genuine record and replaced their name with hers through the vfw north kingstown she also got to know an actual military veteran who had the stage four lung cancer what a complete fraud all right folks you're listening to the john DePietro show for over 125 years ameriprise financial has provided advice for clients unique goals help millions of americans retire on their terms now as we're at the end of the year beginning of a new year why not take advantage of a free consultation call tom bryan today ameriprise financial 401-434-1510 offices located 400 Massasoit avenue in east providence put the strength of a leader in retirement planning to work for, for you through a personal one-on-one relationship call tom bryan today ameriprise financial advisors 401-434-1510 get solid advice get a plan whether it's for yourself you and a spouse, maybe your children or grandchildren. Take advantage of this free consultation, AmeriPrize Financial, 401-434-1510. Call right now, 401-434-1510. Tom Bryan, AmeriPrize Financial Advisors. Menden Road in Cumberland. Again, call Marie, 401-305-3585, diagonally across from Davidport Restaurant. getting cold already this winter keep your family your employees warm with matthews oil company call them today 401-942-7500 matthews oil company 24-hour emergency service for over four generations they make it easy to keep your home comfortable and safe trusted oil delivery call matthews oil company today 401-942-7500 you can find them online matthews dot com matthews oil premier dealer of rhode island delivering the highest quality heating fuels at matthews oil they take pride providing reliable affordable service for you and your family celebrating 90 years of service call them now it's going to be a cold winter get that tank filled call matthews oil company today 401-942-7500 in an emergency they offer 24-hour emergency service Matthews Oil Company, 401-942-7500. It's not solar, but you can help people save money on their electricity.
1: Yes. Uh, If they're a commercial customer and they're with the grid, uh, local utility, we can also uh, provide them with electricity and also
2: commercial natural gas for uh, right to their business.